We're already 562 years into lockdown and there are only so many Zoom pub quizzes one person can do before they go insane. So allow me to step in and provide an alternative for you today. Forget about Michael Jordan and the last dance. On this episode of the podcast, I've been chatting to Irish Olympic hopeful Russell White and it's a really fascinating interview. Russell's an amazing athlete. He's one of the fastest swimmers in the world of triathlon today. You definitely don't want to miss it. Hello and welcome back to Try Me A River. If this is your first time tuning in, it's great to have you with us. The normal channels are open if you want to get in touch. You can email on trymeariver at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at trymeariver. I'm slowly but surely getting back to full strength after my turn with the coronavirus. Back out on the bike thankfully and ramping up the distance bit by bit. Running still feels a step too far for me as things stand. I tried a very easy four-mile run a few days back and it was like breathing through a straw the entire way. So even though my legs are feeling good, my lungs aren't just back to their best yet. I'll leave the back garden quarantine marathons to someone else for now. Anyhow, as I said, I'm going to keep my chat to a minimum here. We'll hold off news and the normal features for one episode so I can give our guest this week as much time as possible. For those of you who might not be familiar with Russell White, it's more than likely you've seen him if you've watched triathlon on the telly over the past few years. You just might not have realised. The reason being that he is more often than not one of the first triathletes out of the water in ITU World Series races, especially over the past few years. He tells you a bit of his backstory about how he got into the sport of triathlon during our interview, but let me give a quick rundown of some of his achievements. He's the highest ranked male triathlete in Ireland today. He has been competing at ITU World Series level for the past six years since making his debut in Yokohama in 2014. He has competed at the Commonwealth Games in both Glasgow in 2014 and the Gold Coast in Australia in 2018, where he finished in the top 15. During our chat, he reflects on Glasgow, with that having been his first major games. He looks forward to Tokyo 2021 and explains why he believes he can get right into the mix in that race. He tells me about how lockdown has come at the best time possible, given his recent shoulder injury. He talks about getting up close and personal with Alistair Brownlee, and he even tells me who he would pick in his dream mixed relay team. There's lots of fun and insightful stuff packed into the next half an hour, so I hope you enjoy listening to Russell just as much as I enjoyed chatting to him. And I started off our time together by asking him how he'd been coping with lockdown. I guess it's different for everyone. Before the lockdown came in place, I'd been in America and um, I crashed my bike and broke my collarbone. Um, And that was just, it'll be eight weeks tomorrow on Sunday. So that was the start of the lockdown Um, when I came home. So it was a mad rush getting out of America, just get home. And races had started to get cancelled. That was before the Olympic postponement and stuff. So I guess the main thing was just worried about the collarbone rather than anything. I wasn't even really leaving the house. I had nowhere to go or... I guess it was straight home and maybe went to hospital for another x-ray once we got home and 
it was a bit eerie being in the hospitals for that time and not really the place you wanted to be. But it's healed quite fast, but it actually has been something to take my mind off it. And, you know, it means that I wasn't really missing swimming or missing racing. And if someone had told me that I wouldn't be allowed to train for swimming with a broken collarbone, but nobody else in the world would be able to swim at the same time, I wouldn't believe them. But that's the reality of it. And um, it was I, did, I wouldn't want to break a bone ever, but timing-wise, this is probably the best time ever for an athlete to have the opportunity to recover and stuff. So I've just been on the turbo, started back running once I was out of the sling. Um, collarbones healed pretty well now. Got me a six-week x-ray and it was nearly 80% healed, so that was super positive. And uh, did you get operated on after that crash? No, thankfully not. So it was sitting okay. And then I guess the consultants didn't want an unnecessary operation, even if there was complications or an infection or whatever. It's it's not what I would have wanted with everything going on. So when it was sitting more or less okay, we just left it. And um, I'm quite happy I did because it's, it's healed pretty fast. So I'm happy. So it's halfway through 2020 now. Putting your injury to the side, I guess you would have been expecting to be putting the finishing touches on Tokyo preparation right now. Um, how, how did you feel when that announcement was made about postponing the Olympics? Or was that before or after your injury? It was after the injury. So when I was in America, I've actually been in a weird um, position where I've raced five times this year, which is a lot more than most triathletes because it started quite early. Because um, the position I am with... Olympic qualification I'm holding one of the very last slots so I'm in the simulation but my world ranking has slipped a little so I was trying to do smaller races that would get me world ranking points to get into say world cups and world series um, comfortably so that I could defend my slot so I'd, I'd raced five times and um, I was doing a few continental cups leading into a world cup in Florida and it was a bit of a whirlwind those races started getting cancelled when we were over in Florida. When it first happened, we were like, okay, maybe there's Brasilia, there's Bermuda, WTS. Maybe just stay in Florida for a training camp and just get ready for that. It's, it might blow over quick. So everything was changing day by day. Then it got more serious with the, the ban and we knew sort of Brasilia and Bermuda might not go ahead, so we came straight home. Then with breaking the collarbone the day before I came home, like I, all those races have been cancelled and I just go out for an easy ride and that's when I broke the collarbone. You feel frustrated, you know, why did it happen when I wasn't even training for anything? Emotions were up and down and then you sort of settle yourself. You know, okay, best time and I've, I've plenty of time to get ready. There's no more qualification races probably going to happen. So if I'm still in the simulation, hopefully they just close it and all I have to do is get ready for the 27th of July. So that was... They were the mindset changed and it was just like right I'll probably have qualified now unofficially and then but then the, the postponement and then you're like okay well you know it's going to be a year time so they are going to open up qualification again so then you're sort of like okay that's another stressful <laughs> full year to go through so it was a bit of a whirlwind but it was just constantly up and down with emotions sort of it was the injury a bad thing or a good thing or then with the postponement what's going to happen with qualification and different stuff. Like we don't even know when races are going to start again. The ITU have released a lot of press releases with no real answers other than that it's just going to be on fairness and equality and when all athletes across the world can sort of have the ability to train again, then races will start. 
they were talking maybe 45 days after all countries are able to train normally before a qualification race would come up. So you're talking that you need all these lockdowns to nearly just close or just finish and then another 45 days before even a race can can happen so it's a long way away maybe sort of september october time but the likelihood it could just be back into the start of um, 2021 for people listening to this could you explain how that qualification process works you mentioned the simulation it works on a two-year cycle two years out from the games so i guess if we forget about the postponement just for ease of explanation so Yokohama two years ago would have been the first qualification race um, and that would have went around two years to just before Yokohama this year, which would have been around about first weekend of May. If the Games had been happening in July, all qualification would have closed this weekend. Um, it's actually quite scary to think it would have been, it would have been this weekend, it would have been the last chance to qualify. So I, I would have potentially knew if everything had went um, straightforward. So there's only going to be 55 athletes on the men's start list, and same as the women's. The initial slots get selected by the relay teams. So Ireland doesn't currently have a relay team qualified. So the relay automatically qualifies two men and two women, and that'll be for the first maybe 14 slots, so seven teams. And then after that, to get a third athlete for each country, all three of those athletes need to be in the top 30 in the, in the simulation. And then after that, it, um, it's individual athletes down to the 55 mark. It's not quite dead on 55 because some countries may have more of their quota. They may have more than the two athletes or the three athletes. Say a bigger country like France or Australia or... So those names get taken off the list and people will move up. And with, the, with that Olympic simulation, it's only World Series and World Cups, which is the two highest levels of the triathlon for ITU. So anything below doesn't actually qualify for the Olympics. Um, and that's the gist of it. You nearly need a degree to go into, into it in more detail. Sometimes you nearly, you just sort of simplify it and just do as best as you can the race and see it. Um, how things are going and then come crunch time then that's when you really have to be man marking and watching people in races like it would have been interesting this start of the year even the world series there always becomes races within races because mm. there are athletes maybe in my position that you're sort of down in that near that cutoff point where you know there's guys that you're competing against for the slot ahead or the slot behind there will always be races between races as it's getting closer. It, um, do you know I might have been racing against another athlete from Luxembourg or Austria or something? I nearly just need to defend my slot against him and make sure I get more points or avoid him jumping me. That's interesting. So it's almost kind of like the Tour de France or a big cycling race where people might be in the peloton, but they're watching one rider that they want to yeah. avoid going ahead of them. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, you mentioned the Irish setup there, um, and I've actually seen you race before, but it was quite a few years back. It was in Glasgow. Me and a few friends went across to the Commonwealth, yeah. and we were there um, sort of with our Northern Ireland tops on, cheering on the Northern Irish mixed relay team. And I remember you yeah. were in it along with, who was there, Aileen Reid and Eamon Mullen and Connor as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was the Northern Ireland squad for... And, um, you um, did really well that day. I remember you... like. 
beat a few of the British teams. And yeah, yeah we, we what, had, are you, what are your memories of, of that day? Well, I went to university in Stirling, um, and that was around the time of Glasgow. And my sister had went to university in Glasgow and Scotland being so close. Even though Birmingham's coming up for the next Commonwealth Games, Glasgow will always be sort of the closest home games of any sort that um, I'll potentially compete in. Like I, I drove from my house and university straight into the Athlete Village in, in 30 minutes for that game. So it was definitely a unique experience. Unfortunately, six weeks leading in, I'd been in a camp in Mallorca and went over, rolled my ankle pretty bad. And six days before going into the village, I rolled it again. I didn't do any damage too much. I hadn't torn ligaments, but the mobility and the pain in it was, was quite sore. So but for both those races, it was um, completely fixed and taped up. So it was quite hard, maybe kicking in the swim during the swim with no um, ankle flexibility. But it was my first games and it was all about experience, which was pretty good. The individual didn't really go to plan due to the ankle. It was giving me bother for an Olympic distance. But the relay, it was my first even, it was my first relay for triathlon that I'd done because we haven't had many teams in the past. But the calibre of athletes, like starting off with Aileen going off first and then Connor going second. We were sitting, you know, sixth in the Commonwealth Games you know, halfway through the race. So I was the anchor leg, you know, stressful, but exciting. You know, you're in the mix or up until that point in my career, I hadn't been in the mix or at the forefront of a, a really big race of that caliber. So um, that was super exciting. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience and phenomenal weather in Glasgow that nobody expected and uh, more or less a home crowd and, and family that it was easy for them to all come across and watch which isn't always easy when we're racing all over the world, but somewhere like Glasgow was was super good. And like you mentioned, you were there. There was definitely a lot of Northern Irish support and um, people from back home that came over to watch because it, it was so accessible. What What's the Northern Irish triathlon scene looking like these days from where you're standing or, or Ireland as a whole? Are there good examples of young talent coming through that you can see? Yeah, I guess... I started in 2010 and there's been a bit of a, a, a transition recently and um, you would have had the likes of Brian Kane, Gavin Noble, Aileen sort of racing um, over like London and Rio and, and those Olympic cycles and the likes of Conor Murphy as well. But then I was sort of the only one sort of sticking about from that time. I was, I was younger and just learning from those guys um, and now I'm, I'm one of the, the oldest racing for Ireland. But there is a, a good development um, side coming through. We haven't had many girls recently, but that's coming through, especially in the, the whole of Ireland, like junior side and the development-wise, there's, there's a good, really strong girls coming through. Junior guys is maybe slightly weaker at the minute, but we have sort of older sort of guys now in their 20s that um, are sort of World Cup level and will be pushing into World Series. And the likes of James Edgar up north and Con Doherty down from in Westport and um, with Ben Shaw that currently lives out in Australia and stuff. So it is looking healthy and it will be like we'll soon have relay teams for Paris and LA um, Olympics that um, will be ready to contend in, for those games. You come from a swimming background, isn't that right? Yeah. Um, 
in, in recent years, you've been kind of pushing more towards the sharp end of getting out of the water first with some of the really top swimmers in the World Series races. Can you give me a flavour of what it's like to be in that environment where you're at the top end of a World Series race, you're surrounded by, I'm sure, triathletes you looked up to when you were coming through mm-hmm. yourself? What, what does yeah. it feel like when you're in, in the middle of a race like that? Oh, um so sometimes you're in the zone and you, you wouldn't think about it and it's nearly till afterwards that it sort of dawns on you who was around you or what the situation was like but um i guess i came from a swimming background i swam all my life at like lisbon i moved to lisbon swim club after it on my 11 plus when i was 11 and swam right up until i didn't start traveling until i was upper sixth at 17 18 which was slightly later than most so it was mainly my background was always swimming and maybe hockey for school but moving into triathlon you you start off I didn't really have a junior career so with coming in sort of at 18 so I was learning at the deep end or thrown in at the deep end and and learning how to cope with that open those open water skills and and you sort of always consider yourself as a good swimmer but then you're maybe not always having great swims at the start. So it, there was definitely a learning curve. And, and thankfully, the past couple of years, I have been getting like more at the pointy end. But there's races, I guess. Leeds, WTS, I guess 2016 was one of my, my better seasons, sort of WTS level. And I was 11th in Leeds, and you're sort of in a bike pack with Gomez and running out of transition, starting to run even with Gomez on your shoulder and coming past you. And, and sort of actually feeling good and I'm not going away too much. And there's a guy that even before 2010 that I was watching being sort of world champion going into Beijing Olympics in 2008. So this guy's a legend and a bit of a hero. And, you know, these other races were Rotterdam, the grand final that year when it's you know, Gomez, Richard Murray, Mola, Johnny Brownlee. It's sometimes you, you see photos after the race and you're like, you don't you don't believe that you're sort of just tucked in behind these guys or they're sitting on your wheel, but I think if you if I was to start thinking during the race that you know these guys are heroes or these guys um, you know are phenomenal athletes, I think you just have to nearly pinch yourself sometimes and say like you're beside them for a reason like you're not there to make up numbers and I guess that's probably the one thing that changed uh, recently even just before that 2016 season. I'd started to believe in my swimming and my biking, but I hadn't that belief in my run. So I was maybe mentally um, looking back at probably my race was over sort of at T2. I hadn't didn't have that belief that then I could keep pushing for the results off the bike, but I was already at the front with those guys, so anything could happen. And it wasn't until sort of getting that belief in the run that you're sort of in, those, get in with those guys for two-thirds of the race. And it's just a case of then just that run fitness building up and um, the belief in yourself then coming off the bike and that you're able to compete with those type of guys. Can there be a bit of a tense atmosphere in the races sometimes? Like are people throwing elbows in the swim or passing comments when you're on the bike? Yeah, it is. It's um, like it's tense and it's nervous and nerve wracking. And um, I guess even that day that I had my probably best WTS result of 11th in 2016. Both Gomez and Alistair Brownlee hadn't done much racing up until that Leeds race. 
So I was maybe ranked sort of mid-twenties and I was on the start line sandwich between Alistair Brownlee and Gomez. You're sort of, on your ranking number, you can pick where you can stand. And at the start, Alistair then went far right. It was sort of Alistair and myself, Gomez, standing on the start line of Leeds WTS. And Alistair turned to me and says, just told me, no fighting, sit on. And Fabian from Italy were like, he'll swim us to the front, no messing. And I was like, don't worry, I'm, you know, I'm not going to cause much trouble here. And I dive in and Gomez had a faster start and I was maybe on his hip and Alistair was on my hip. And as you say, probably wasn't too keen that um, someone was between him and Gomez and he was probably going to man mark him and he just punched my goggles off my face and climbed over. And But it was one of those things is like I was still in a good position and I couldn't fight back. I was like, right, I'll just sit on and just see how this goes. But like it can be rough like that and there is guys like, you know, sometimes you could say like that mentality from Alistair was brutal and it shouldn't count, but it nearly actually shows the caliber. Like he, anything goes with him, you know, like that is him in race mode. But then on the bike, it's just always tense. So many bodies around, tight technical courses. It's not even like Tour de France type racing where it's, you know, wider, completely open roads. Say for an Olympic distance over 40K, we might have eight laps. So there's dead turns, 90 degree corners. If it rains, it's slippy. So there is that tension until you get off the bike. And I think more so even from a mum watching races, you know, it's like, as soon as you get on the TT, then she can breathe kind of thing. It's the, the dangers sort of settles. And when you, when you mentioned transition there, that's one thing I personally struggle with. So I, I would do some triathlon races each summer and I feel like the individual elements are okay, but I lose a huge mm-hmm. chunk of time at the transition. What, what yeah. tips would you give for any amateur triathlete like me to improve transition? Because it's, it's a discipline in triathlon that I think a lot of people don't train at because they feel like as long as I've got the three elements, I'll be okay. Personally, I find like the start of every season, you're still nervous and rusty on, all, on those transition skills, you know, swim to bike, bike to run. It's nearly, some people rush it too much. It, it shouldn't be rushed. If, if you set up your transition well and you've practiced it before, it should go pretty seamlessly. Some people maybe were, uh, might put their shoes on and then jump on the bike, whereas at our level, we have the shoes in elastic bands. I would be my right foot dominant. So my right foot would be forward with the elastic band wrapped just around the front derailleur hanger and the left shoe, the elastic band around the skewer. And um, that's just them set in position to jump in. And personally, I would I put talcum powder in the bike shoes. Your feet are wet after the swim, so they'll dry up quick with the talcum powder. But I think it is just that practicing beforehand, even just not the night before your first race or whatever, but even just everybody comes in from from the bike ride, and rather than just going straight into the house and taking it off, just those five minutes to practice even jumping off, getting your feet out of your shoes, practicing putting your helmet on. Do you want to put your sunglasses tucked into your helmet or sunglasses on and helmet on separately? I would always spend those that sort of month before the first race practicing those. And then if it's set up the way you, you like it and um, going through it on race morning and just set it up 
perfect then as long as you don't rush everybody thinks oh you know even domestic races if they're rivals already out of the water or whatever they're panicking to try to catch up but rushing in transition is is probably the the worst thing you can do taking the extra second to be calm will you'll gain seconds back for a faster transition good advice and um, here let, let's just go back to last summer for a few minutes um mm-hmm. to the tokyo test event yep um, tell me what are your standout memories from that day in tokyo what was the climate like how did the other athletes feel what was your experience of that day it was phenomenal even the the sort of few days leading in seeing the infrastructure built around the test event was phenomenal like it it, it sort of gives you that desire that I, I wanted to be back in a in a year's time or well now two years time but yeah the infrastructure that, that even built if anybody watches the race back anything that's blue carpeted around that area which is massive is hand built they've built a whole ramp from the road down onto the, the water side and that's all I've never seen sort of the infrastructure around a race like it. It was nearly so big that they wanted the race at the end of this year because they wanted to just keep it up and not have to dismantle it. I guess everybody sort of relates to Japan being very methodical and everything sort of works quite smoothly. So that was the way the race was run. It was treated as if it was an, an Olympic Games or a major games, even like WTS. It's a different level, even from World Cups and European Cups and domestic races. But it, it was ahead of that again. But on race day, I guess everybody knew that we were going to be in for a hot, humid race. But I don't actually think, for the men anyway, the women were slightly different when they reduced the, their run. And that put everybody on edge. Like, is it really going to be that hot? And the morning of the men's race, the humidity or the, the heat wasn't actually that crazy so every country i guess some people approached it i not not wrong but um they practice so many things like ice vests and um protocols heat protocols that they were going to go through that they practiced for months leading into this and it probably wasn't needed like i had brought an ice vest and i had all that ready to go for my warm-up and i didn't um i didn't use the ice vest even for tokyo and a lot of athletes, feedback-wise, that did use the vests and stuff, you were jumping into the water that was 30 degrees, and you maybe had an ice vest on your chest, all warm up, and then your muscles were cold, jumping into the contrast of such warm water. And then some guys that should have swam well didn't swim well. And then your body temperature is constantly up and down rather than just being regulated for that, that one race. But the course is phenomenal and um, it's very fast very technical very dynamic you know a lot of twists turns corners it's one race that you can't sleep at all for a second like it, it was it was full on and there was a few crashes like even uh, christian blumenfeld from norway and probably one of the favorites crashed out and with the roads in tokyo there's a lot of white paint and zebra crossings and different stuff so even if Although it wasn't raining with the humidity in the air or even someone had dropped a water bottle or anything, if, if there was slippy, that white paint can be treacherous. But it was just such a fast race. And it was probably one of Bar Lasan, the grand final, that was hard due to the fact it was the grand final and um, the terrain of the course being more hilly. It was definitely the um, equal or second hardest race of the season. 
Last question I want to ask about you. Uh, what are the main aspects of your own performance that you would like to develop before Tokyo 2021? I guess the running is, is still my weakest. The past couple of years, it, ha- it has improved. I've always been a, a strong swim biker, but you know, I've maybe been at the pointy end for most of the race and then not came away with the results I would like due to the run form. But I nearly, I would still want to improve my swimming that come Tokyo, um, potentially, if, if I'm there, to be one of the top guys coming out of that water. Do you know, it's, it'll be the biggest race of my career. In the past two Olympics, it has been small breakaway packs, like even in Rio, with a small break, maybe eight, ten, it stayed away the whole race. And the likelihood is that people do um, step up their swimming again for an Olympic Games. Like that's the way it has been in the past. So I want to be there swim wise that I'm in that pack of eight, ten, which I, I believe I have the potential to do. So that's one thing of using the strength. I might as well use a str- one of my strengths to, to get into that position. And then, you know, you're not chasing all day. Bike wise, for the course, it is a punchy course, so it's not sustained power. It is very, like, your power spikes, you know, you're maybe over a 1,000 watts out of some corners and then free wheeling for the next section. So it's actually training for the course um, rather than just being bike fit. So that would be something that would be taken into account. And then come the run, even bike strength, the stronger I am in the bike will carry through to how fast then I'm going to run off the bike. And especially dealing with the heat, it is conservation and who's going to be the strongest athlete for the run. It, it will be a run of survival more than it's, it's not going to be the fastest 10K this season, even if it is an Olympic Games due to the heat. So it is just building that sort of strength run and consistency. Like some, A lot of the races go out really fast and if you don't follow those guys, you're, you're out of the mix. Whereas with the heat in Tokyo, it could be a race where you just race to your plan. You decide what you think you can run for that 10K on that day and run at your own pace and people will come back to you. So it is just getting into a shape that I have a run time off the back that's going to be competitive. Because I don't, if I'm at the Olympic Games, even though it's a dream to be at the Olympic Games, you don't want to go to the Olympic Games to make up numbers. You want to be counted and especially coming out of the swim, if, if it all goes well and being in the front pack, you don't want everybody watching you on TV and saying, oh, we've seen you for the swimming and the bike and then there was no more footage of you kind of thing. And that, that's not the position you want to be in. So it is just getting those run legs to, to stay in front of our camera for the, the rest of the race. We'll all be right behind you. Good man. Yeah. The very Thank last thing much. I want to ask you, a bit, bit of a fun question. If you had to form a dream relay team using triathletes currently competing today in the World Series, Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I'd actually, there was two years I'd raced Hamburg and Hamburg was always sort of the unofficial relay world champs. And both years I was always on the transfer on the Sunday morning with Flora Duffy going home because we were both from countries that didn't have relay teams. And we, we all, both both years we joked that, you know, we could have a multinational um, relay team just to have the opportunity to race because both of us, Apart from Commonwealth Games, she had a team for Bermuda and Commonwealth Games, which was which was good to see as well. We joked that, you know, we could make a, a multinational team. So Flora Duffy would definitely be one of the girls to bring in. And um, I guess on current form and even how she competes in, in relays, Kitty Zafiris 
is is probably one of the strongest girls for a relay team and, and someone that you know doesn't have to have people around her and they can dictate the race themselves and even for those two girls that could you wouldn't even need to decide who went first and who went third like they would both do the same job I guess I'd have my home dream team I'd have to put myself in it but I'm, <laughs> then I'm there and for another guy I would actually pick um, Gomez as an all-round athlete the fact that he even went to Ironman and then back to ITU racing this year and still making the podiums in Bermuda and Leeds just shows his versatility. But he's an athlete that we probably haven't actually seen in many relay teams. Spain haven't always put out a, a strong relay team. Like Mola and Gomez for being sort of multiple world champions in ITU haven't really done that many relays. So, But I still have great belief that Gomez wouldn't really mess it up for you. So I think he'll be a safe bet. Russell, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No, no problem at all. Thank you for having me on. All the best with the recovery from the injury and look forward to seeing you next summer. Yes, thank you very much. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure talking to the big man. Really hope that injury continues to heal as well as it has been doing and that he's ready to leap out of the blocks once lockdown is finally over. There's no reason that he couldn't feature highly in the top 10 of next year's individual race at the Olympics. So get used to his name now as you might be seeing it a lot more next summer in Tokyo. Thanks for joining, as always. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with more triathlon-rated fun and games, so make sure you join us for that. Until then, any questions you have, any guests you'd like to see on the podcast, whatever you have to get off your chest, please get in touch. Say whatever you like. I've got a thick skin. Keep up the cycling and running. Who knows, they might let us back to our swimming pools sometime soon as well. We can always hope. Anyway, have a superb week. And I'll see you next time.